That's Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, to chapter 4, verse 1. And last week we looked at Philippians 3, verses 10 through 16. We saw Paul's aims in life, his pursuits in life. We saw his commitment to keep pressing on further towards these goals that he has. And we saw some of what motivates and encourages him or I should say past tense, what motivated and encouraged him in his ongoing pursuit of those aims. We also saw that these aims and this mindset was not just something for Paul himself, but it was something that he called other Christians to. Paul urged the Philippians to embrace the same mindset. He said all mature Christians should think this way and live this way. It's a way of life for them to hold true to. And in today's passage, Paul makes this plea all the more clear and urgent. Read with me from verse 17. Read along as I read from verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul urges us, he urges us to follow the example of, of Christians who live for eternity and continually press on. Not just his example, but anyone else, any other believer who's setting that same example of pressing on, continually pressing on. He told us clearly in verse 12 that he is not perfect and that he had more room to grow. So he's not claiming that absolutely everything about him should be imitated down to the details. But we should follow him in his pursuits. In the things we looked at last week, we should follow him in his desire to know Christ more and more, in his desire to suffer with Christ and make sacrifices for the advance of the gospel, in his desire to grow in Christ-likeness, and in his commitment to always press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. So I can urge you to follow Jimmy as he pursues Christ. I can urge you to follow Dumi as he pursues Christ. But that doesn't mean I'm looking for you to learn to play the keyboard or the cajon. The point is to follow the example they set in devotion to Christ, in loving their wives well and serving God's people. You may find 
actually, brothers and sisters, that God gives you some surprising examples to learn from. People very, very different from you. Perhaps in very different life circumstances to you. But you can be spurred on by their example of faithfulness to Jesus and their efforts to make the most of opportunities to serve Him and advance the Gospel. Another thing we have to note here is that ultimately, right, if everyone who is mature has this mindset of following these examples, we're going to be living in the same way as these examples, therefore setting an example ourselves. So as as intimidating as it may be to some of you who are newer believers, you need to embrace the fact that ultimately this is God's design. That every Christian should follow the example of more mature Christians and therefore, and, and, and in so doing, become an example to others themselves. You need to be able to say to others, with time, as you grow, you need to be able to say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul warns, don't live for this world. Follow the example of those who are continually pressing on and do not live for this world. He points our attention to some negative examples, people not to be like. And it's hard to identify exactly who he's talking about in these verses, but we can still learn a lot from how he describes them. Whoever they are, it seems likely that Paul knew them quite well because he's heartbroken over them. Paul says there are many of them, that they walk as enemies of the cross, that is, their way of life is contrary to the call of the gospel. And he says that destruction is their end. They're not saved. It seems there are either people who think that they are Christians but aren't, or people who used to follow Christ but have since turned away from him. Paul describes them in this way. He says their God is their belly. It's a way of saying that basically they live for instant gratification. They live for just satisfying their natural appetites and passions. This might be overt um, and, and striking like a drug addict or an alcoholic. Or it might be a lot more subtle like somebody who just prefers to keep life comfortable. They glory in their shame, Paul says. That is, they boast about things that they should be ashamed to be boasting of. Again, this might be more overt, like the womanizer who boasts to his friends about his conquests every weekend. Or it might be more subtle, like the successful man in the eyes of the world who's gone far in his career, but has forgotten God. Who boasts of his success in the world, but has no time for the Lord. It's important to realize that even something that is a good thing in and of itself becomes a wicked thing when it becomes more precious to us than Jesus. When we choose it over Christ. When we worship the gift rather than the giver. Paul also describes these people as having their minds set on earthly things. 
We're talking about a settled way of thinking and choosing and valuing and prioritizing. This is someone's way of life. It's the choices they continually make. It's their settled priorities over time. What are some of the earthly things that we could be in danger of setting our minds on? Well, the things that the world lives for, right? Fame, popularity, power, position, wealth, comfort. And the fleeting, as the Bible puts it so often, the fleeting pleasures of sin. These people are contrasted with those who have Paul's eternal mindset. Rather than living for eternity, they're living for now. As we've said earlier, this might be seen in clearly worldly living, an extreme life of living for pleasure and sin, but it could also be much more simple. A romance with someone who is not a Christian. And even though you know that God commands Christians to only marry other Christians, you choose to stay in that relationship rather than obeying Christ. It could be secret, unrepentant sin, like pornography, for example, that you hide from others at all costs, but in reality you love it too much to turn from it, too much to repent. It could be seen in the person who fears man more than he fears God, who again and again chooses popularity with family, friends, or co-workers over being seen as weird and taking a stand for Christ. It could be the person who simply decided that other things are more important to them. Their hobbies, their vacations, their career consume all their time so that they have no time left for Christ. I heard a sermon once where the preacher stood at the front of a hallway with a rope. And the rope went all the way down the hall and far out the hallway door. And uh, at the end of this rope that he was holding, the tiny, there was a tiny little red strip on the very, very end of that rope. And he said to us, he said, think of it this way. He says, this rope represents eternity. So imagine that this rope is, that goes out the hallway and keeps going, that it just never ends. It goes on and on forever. And then he held up the rope and he said, see this little red stripe here? He says, this little red stripe here is this life. He says, but the crazy thing is that we make so many of our decisions about that little red stripe. So many of our decisions as if all of life is that little red stripe. But once this life ends, eternity continues and continues and continues. On and on and on and on, forever and ever and ever. We must be careful to not set our mind on earthly things. To not set our mind on just that little red stripe. We must remember that in reality... It's very little time at all. Rather, Paul calls us to remember eternity with Jesus. Remember eternity with Jesus. This is verses 20 to 21. And Paul argues in verse 20 that Christians are first and foremost citizens of heaven 
rather than citizens of any earthly nation. You guys may remember from the beginning of this series, we said that Philippi was a Roman colony and many of its residents um, prided themselves in that Roman identity, that Roman way of life. And being citizens of the most powerful nation of earth with all the privileges that that brought with it. But whatever earthly cultures and countries we come from, Christians should realize that heaven is our home. We should have a heavenly culture, heavenly values, heavenly ways of doing things. As the book of Philippians has been calling us to, we should be selfless people, willing to die to self in order to serve one another. We should be people who are willing to suffer for Christ and the advance of the gospel. We should be people who rejoice in Christ even when life is hard. These Christian mindsets, these should be the culture that people encounter when they visit this church, when they spend time with us. They should notice that our culture is the culture of heaven. Theologians speak of an already not yet dynamic. Already not yet uh, in regards to the Christian life. And what this means is that there are certain things that God has uh, accomplished, that he's accomplished on the one hand only in part up until this point, and yet uh, with so much certainty that it's just a matter of time until the rest plays out. So in regards to heaven, it is so guaranteed and so sure that we will, that Christians will be there one day, that we should live as if we are already there, right? We're not yet there, but we should live as if we are already there. We should live in light of that reality. Paul also reminds us that Jesus is returning. Our Savior is returning. The one who died to pay for our sins. And when he returns, he's returning in power and glory. With the authority to rule and reign over everything forever. And Jesus will exercise that amazing power for the good of his people. It says here, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorified body. What does that mean? It means a body that is no longer tainted by sin. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the elderly and frail will run and jump. Those with Alzheimer's and dementia will have crisper, clearer thinking minds than ever before. It means a body that no longer has any inclination towards sin. All our pride, gone. Our laziness, gone. Our irritability and lust, gone. And Jesus will rule over everything. To an extent that this world has not known since the Garden of Eden. He will subject all things to himself. Everything will be good. Everything will function as it should. Everything will fit together as it should. Satan will be bound. The wicked will be judged. Creation will be released from the shackles of the fall. 
There will be no more drought, no more floods, no more earthquakes, no more volcanic eruptions, no more tornadoes. The ground will be easier to grow things in. Weeds and thorns and infertile soil will be no more. Hunger will be no more. Vegetables and fruits will be tastier than we've ever known without any effects of the fall. Flowers will be more brilliant and more plentiful. The animals will recognize us as God's co-rulers and submit to us again like they did in Eden. No more fear of snakes or crocodiles or sharks. All these animals will be at peace with man again. Everything will be good. Everything. And most importantly, we will be with Jesus, our Savior, in all His glory. All God's people from all time, from every corner of the globe, together. Everyone saved by Jesus. Everyone who trusted in God's grace for salvation. Revelation 5 reads from verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God is going to live with man from now on. He will dwell with them. He will dwell with them. He will will live day to day with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, life lies to us. How foolish to put all our time and attention on that little red stripe when eternity is not only so long, but it's this glorious. What are we doing? Why are the lies of this world so tempting to us? Instant gratification just seems so much more appealing. The praises of men, so appealing. Riches and success and comfort now seem so worthwhile. They draw us away from what truly matters and what truly lasts. 
But it is absolute madness to live for now when this is what awaits Christians for all eternity. Remember, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? So Paul closes out, Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul clearly loves the Philippians very much. He calls them here brothers. He calls them beloved. He calls them his joy and crown. You might remember from a few weeks ago when we talked about Paul's desire to be able to present these Christians that he'd invested in and ministered to uh, and, and, and cared for and sought to protect uh, and, and, and teach and, and disciple, how he wanted to present them as mature, mature believers to Jesus, as a, as a special gift to Jesus. He says, you, you are my crown. You are my reward. Paul says he loves them and he longs to be with them. But part of why he's expressing all this affection here is because he's really, really trying to plead with them about the importance of what he's saying. He's trying to show them how much it matters to him that they hear his plea and take it seriously. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm how? By remembering eternity and continually pressing onward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice this though. Stand firm by pressing onward. In the Christian life, standing requires forward momentum. Standing requires forward momentum. The lies of this world and the trials of this world are like a strongly flowing stream that we're standing in waist deep. It threatens to wash us away. The only way to stand our ground, the only way to stand firm is to press on upstream, pushing against the current. To stand firm, we have to stay diligent and continually pressing on. Continually pressing on. Brothers and sisters, where, if you evaluate your life, your decisions week to week, where, where are you looking for joy? Where are you looking for meaning? What are you prioritizing in life? What, what are you living for? Is Jesus first? Is He your greatest priority? Are you choosing to follow Him in faith? Prioritizing Him above anything and everything else. We will all have ups and downs in respect to our levels of joy, our levels of confidence, our levels of excitement about Jesus. I want you to hear that, that that's normal. That's normal. That shouldn't get too discouraged by that. We will all have some days of clearer perspective than others, days when it's easier for us to remember eternity, and then also days when the call of now feels particularly strong. But this is what faith does, right? Faith 
reminds ourselves of what we've seen in this message today. About what things are truly actually just short-lived and fleeting. And what things are truly worthwhile and eternal. Our faith reminds us what Jesus has secured for His people and how worthwhile it is to live for that eternity. So we have to remind ourselves. We have to remind ourselves of what is true. And in dependence on Christ, choose to believe and live in light of what is true. Faith believes Jesus and chooses to follow Him. Let's let's remember eternity. Let's keep pressing on. Amen.